Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to see what it was like that first Christmas. That, that first moment where people got to see Jesus as a baby, born as the king of the entire world, the entire universe, the king of kings and lord of lords. Open our minds to see the power that God has, that he has now, that he has in the future, and that he has had in the past. Open our minds to see what, the ways that we need to respond to his power and to what he's done and is doing. And help us as maybe we're hurting this holiday season to see God's power working in our life. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I was saying about Christmas, I really, really like Christmas. And I've gotten to the point where Advent, the idea of Advent, that, that we're looking forward to the day that we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ is so exciting to me. That's why today, actually, like, every Sunday that I get to preach a Christmas-like type sermon through the Christmas season, I get really, really excited before I'm about to do it. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about the wise men or the magi, the astrologers. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, starting the first 12 verses there, Matthew 2, um, 1 through 12. This series that we're in is called Hurt in the Holidays because we go into the holidays and we get to see family and, and friends and family members, but sometimes it's the one time a year that we struggle with those that are not sitting at the table with us for Christmas dinner or maybe they're not with us for New Year's Eve. Maybe they're not with us. And, and so we need to realize that if it's not us, it is someone else that's hurting this time of year. And so the promise that God gave through Jesus Christ is something that there is hope, and there's hope when there is hurt. And so we're going to look at the story of the wise men today from a fresh perspective. And I'm really going to just talk about the power. I'm just going to call it the power. We all have memories as kids of being in awe of something, or someone, maybe. You know, I remember lots of things as a kid. I remember the first time I watched a movie and you know the worst movie of all time? Milo and Otis, okay? I saw Milo and Otis, and I thought it was amazing. And then I watched it again when I was, like, older, and I'm like, why did I watch this movie? It's about a talking dogs. Like, it's just weird. But I was in awe of it because it was the only, time, only thing I've ever seen. And so sometimes this experience is positive. Sometimes it's not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of some things that, that have happened that are things that we have awe of. The moon landing. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And, and maybe it was Vietnam. Maybe it was when the Berlin Wall fell. Or maybe the first time that you used the internet, which now we are so connected to that we don't even realize there was a time before that. Some of you weren't even born before the internet. So that's, think about it like that. Or maybe it was 9-11. And you remember that day vividly. For me, one of those memories was in 1995, in the Super Bowl, the 49ers. I have a confession. I'm a 49ers fan. So this year, I'm really happy. 
I'm really, really happy right now. I remember I was, I was, I was nine years old. And I remember the Super Bowl very vividly because my favorite player was Jerry Rice. And he was this wide receiver, and he was just so cool and calm. Like in, in interviews, he just was the cool guy. I don't know why I liked him so much. But then in the Super Bowl, he caught three touchdowns, and they totally beat the San Diego Chargers really bad. I remember that, but I also remember the morning of 9-11. Some of you have kind of keyed in your mind where you were at that morning. And I remember because it was the first day I was starting junior college and I turned on the TV, which I rarely turned on the TV, and as I turned on the TV, I saw the second plane hit the second tower in real time. And I was like, what is going, like I was just in shock. No one else was up in my entire house. My brother wasn't up, my parents weren't up, and I just remember that hitting. And then I was, I, I went to, junior college, and I spent the whole day just watching the news. Every teacher's like, you can go home, but we're all like kind of in shock. Maybe you want to say awe, whatever people want to call it, but we, we just, what had happened? When we see powerful things happen at different times in our life, we remember them. We stand in awe of, of what the power is. Let me be honest, I was never going to be a wide receiver in the NFL. Never, never. I've never had any skills in that. There was no way, but I was in awe of the skill I saw that one day. I'm still in awe. Like, I think when I was thinking about this, I actually have pictures in my mind of, like, different plays that happened. You guys have moments like that where you remember, oh, this happened, or this is where I was when I was watching this. Today we're going to see that power, any power, causes a response. We have to respond with something. Good, bad. Herod has a response to the birth of Jesus. And the Magi, or as we know them, the wise men do as well. And so please turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. And as you look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, this is after Joseph had the angel come to him and share that Jesus was going to be born and to call him Jesus. But then we get to verse 1, and it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star, and it rose, and have come to worship him. Now notice something right here. This is really important. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Imagine this, you're a king, and someone says, hey, the real king has been born. What's your first thing? I don't know, what are you talking about? What's going on here? In this, in this place, and, and Herod doesn't even understand the full significance of what's going on, because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city that David, the Israelite king, was born in. This is a royal city, one that any Jew would have seen the significance of where he was born. That is very important. These magi, these wise men, come from the east to the capital of Israel in Jerusalem, which is the current royal city, asking where the king is. And what's important to note, and I think this is something we miss around Christmas, we don't realize that, that Jesus was not born to be the king, but he was born king. One person said it this way. The words they used, the, the wise men used, was born king. He was not born to be king, 
as it is often said, they are talking about what he is, not what he will be. He was born king. There was a baby king. He's the king of kings from birth, from all eternity. He's the king of kings. And if we read the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we'll realize that in the beginning was the word. And who was the word? Jesus. And so, so he's always been, he's the eternal king. And these wise men come, and they're astrologers. They're looking at the stars. They're not asking, what's your sign? They're asking, where's the king? This shows us that God can reveal himself to anyone. When we doubt that God's revealed himself to someone, we are actually doubting that the, the power of God can do what God has already done. And so they saw this star in the sky. It was connected to the symbol of the star of David, which if you see in the Jewish nation, and as well as it, most Jews have like a necklace with the star of David in it, because it's a symbol of their, their nation, but the symbol of their country. And they see it resting over Bethlehem, the birthplace of a king. And so they must have thought Jesus was born to a royal line. They had to. The wise men had to think that. The wise men wanted to worship him. If he can control the stars, he must be a deity. Think about that. If you're here today and you are serving God and love God, he is so powerful, he controls the stars. Every single star in the universe. He must be powerful. And they worship Jesus because of the cosmic power of God. And this doesn't make some people happy. This doesn't make anyone happy. The king put over the Jews by the Romans, Herod, is troubled. And so are the people of Jerusalem. Which is why we need to understand, God's power causes us to be unsettled or worship. We have a, we have a decision to make. We're either going to be unsettled like Herod and not really want God's power to be worked out, or we're going to be the opposite, and we're going to worship God like the wise men. If you're trying to keep your power, you'll be troubled by the power of God. It's as simple as that. If you're troubled, it's because you're trying to keep your power. You'll be troubled by this power that God has and the majesty of Jesus and the power of God in the world, just like Herod. But if we're seeking God, there's a whole other story. We're going to worship God's power and his majesty. And we're going to worship Jesus. It's as simple as that. We have a choice every day to seek God or to try to control things to keep the power we think we have. There's, it's a losing battle. It's, it's not, you're not going to win. The wise men are encouraged and Herod is going to lose his power. It's going to happen quick. So we can worship Jesus or be unsettled and think, this is important, think we have more power. Think we have more power. Because, because Jesus clearly does. If the God of the universe put a star that moved in the sky and fell right above where Jesus was so the wise men knew where to go to worship, don't you think that same God has more power than you do? Anyone here move stars? We don't. We can't. And so what happens when we're unsettled? Well, we're going to see what Herod's going to do. Follow along with me in verse 4. In verse 4, Herod does something that unfortunately sets some things in motion that are very, very evil. In assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, 
he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For it's written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. But when Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. I think, I think it's interesting here. Herod gathers these religious leaders. He knows who to go to after he hears about this new king. And then he asks them where the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior was to be born. I have a question for you. And this is, this is like below the surface kind of stuff. When someone's got a question about the Bible, do they come to you and ask you? Like that's a question. I mean, he goes to the religious leaders and he doesn't know where the king's going to be born. The one that the Jews believe are, is going to be the Savior and going to save them. The one that is coming to not just be their king. We've talked a lot about being king. But be their shepherd. Be their guide. Be the one that brings them all together. But he didn't know who to ask. But then, they respond. And they say, this person is going to be born in Bethlehem. And it's going to be a ruler, one over all of Israel. Jesus is going to be the shepherd. He's God guiding us and correcting us. So Herod hatches a plan. Isn't every story someone hatch a plan? Sometimes it ends really bad. In this case, it's going to end really, really bad. He gathers the wise men secretly and asks them, when did the star appear? When did that star appear? What, what is going to happen? If he can find the timing of the star, maybe he can protect his throne. He's already playing catch up with God at this point. And he says, okay, wise men, please tell me. And you know what the wise men, I don't think they're very wise at this point. They tell him. Don't you think you could see through his plan if they were really wise? You could sense this king is, is, is trying to, to kill this baby or, or stop the, from losing his power. But instead... They tell him, and it wasn't wise. But I think it's important to note that God's power overcomes obstacles. God's power overcomes obstacles. When Satan plots against us and the ways of God, when we're afraid of losing our power, we do things in secret. It's quiet. We don't, we don't want to hide what's going on. That's why people talk about the, the term secret sin. We hide things. But when God is on the throne, we have no fear of being public. We have no fear of everyone knowing what we're doing, right? We have no fear when God's on the throne. When we're on the throne, we hide things. We keep it secret. We keep it up here. We don't talk about it. But when God's on the throne, we have no fear of being public. The power of God for the people of God for the purposes of God. That's a tongue twister. The power of God for the people of God, for the purposes of God, cannot be defeated. When we feel defeated, sometimes we're doing it in our own strength. That, that's difficult. When we're hurting, God's power can heal us and overcome that in our life. When, when we are in pain, God can relieve that power and overcome that. When we're weak, God overcomes our weakness and makes us powerful. The Apostle Paul talks about when he was weak, God made him strong. We, we forget that, that there's a key part of this. And that's because God's power overcomes obstacles in our life because he is on the throne of our heart. He's the one ruling in our life. And if he's not the one ruling, 
then we hide things like Herod. Herod's plan was focused on keeping his power and scheming secretly. I'm going to mention a movie, and there's certain people that have been calling me spoiler alert, so if, if that's you. The Lion King. Man, the uncle kills the dad, and you're sitting here like, what's going on? And you get to the end of the movie, and you're like, this is, he's been scheming. Because he's evil and he wants power. This is the same thing Herod wants. But what Herod doesn't realize is he's encountered the eternal king of the universe. And he is just a king for one period of time that's over a people that God has complete control over. This is the God of the universe. And he forgets that. So he sends the wise men to pursue the king and says, I want to worship him too. Let's read on in verse 8. I can't help but think at this point the wise men are like, Okay, he wants to worship him. We don't understand what the, what the political dynamics of, of Israel is. Well, we get to verse 8, and it says, this is Herod. He said, he sent, him to, or sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it arose before them came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I always thought it was interesting when I read this. If God didn't intervene, what would have happened? Would the wise men gone back? Would Herod come and found Jesus? What would have happened? God would have found another way, is what I've realized. So Herod is asking the wise men to participate in his scheme. Herod's lying, and they fall for it. Have you ever felt really bad because you believed a lie? I'm sure the wise men, afterwards, when God came to them in a dream, were like, kind of remorseful, like, wow. Herod's worship is false worship. It's to protect his power. When we want to protect our own power, we worship in a false way. We say, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to be this way. But the reality is God knows what's in here, in our hearts. And even if our actions don't, ma- if our actions don't match our hearts, we're worshiping in a false way, and it's going to be rejected by God. But the star and the wise men follow to Jesus. And they rejoiced when the star came to be over Jesus. They found what they're looking for. When it says they came from the east, it wasn't just a three-hour drive, okay? When it says they came from the east, they were going across deserts. They were going across places, and it was taking days, possibly months. We know, that we know based on verses in the next part of the passage that Jesus was potentially as old as two years old. It could have been two years that they were chasing this star, and now it comes to rest over Jesus, and they are exceedingly filled with joy. Have any of us ever had to wait for something for two years? I'm just thinking about it. Like in our Insta culture, we can flip open our phone and watch something on Netflix right away, but the reality is they waited two years for this king, and the joy they had was the sign of a repentant heart. They come into the house and Jesus was, sometime before he turned two, 
And they saw Mary and they saw Jesus. And their first response was to fall on their knees and worship him. Grown men worshiping a baby. The baby that is probably cooing, maybe, maybe Jesus could walk by then. Maybe he's running around. The first response. And they gave him treasures. And, and this is the question. This is the statement that really defines the power of God. God's power requires a response. God's power requires a response. They gave him their treasures. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were all expensive. They were things that were given to royalty. It wasn't something that they just give to anybody. Their posture of worship was consistent with worship of Eastern gods and Eastern kings. And I think we forget around Christmas that no matter if we see Jesus as a baby being born from Christmas or we see him, his death, burial, and resurrection at Easter, Good Friday, he is king. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that around Christmas because we come to church, we have... 14 million gatherings. You know, I, if you work somewhere, there's a Christmas party. If you, if you have kids that go to a school, there might be something. There's, there's so many things going on. And yet, we forget because we're busy. And so I've got some questions in this Christmas season for us to think about. What's our posture when we worship Jesus? What's our posture? Do we, do we, get, do we get on our knees in a, in a position that actually says, I am nothing, and God, you're everything. Are we offering our treasures to him? And I don't mean physical treasure. I mean, are we offering what we treasure to him? Are we saying, God, if I need to give up my, I'm willing to. Or are we offering him trash, leftovers? Do we walk in and give him aluminum tin cans, or are we offering the gold in our life? The myrrh, the frankincense. And it goes back to, are we honoring him in our heart? Or are we like Herod, saying, I'm going to go worship him. And we're going to see next week, he doesn't do that at all. In fact, he does something completely horrid. No matter where you stand with God today, the power of God through Jesus Christ requires a response. We can't go through the day without responding to what God has done. So are we going to fall on our knees in front of Jesus? Are we going to give him our treasures? What does God do with the wise men when they leave? What is so important about what God does with the wise men when they leave? He protects them. They worshiped at the feet of Jesus, and he protects them and he protects Jesus. Because the plans of God, carried out by the power of God, for the purpose of God, cannot be defeated. Think about it. God's plan always was to bring a baby that was going to die. And that baby was going to die at some point, older, for you and I, for our sins, because none of us can carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. But yet Jesus did. And so he warns the wise men not to go back to Herod because God protects his people and his plan through Jesus Christ. We can't forget this Christmas season that when we're hurting, God's power is stronger than that hurt and that pain. 
If we're like Herod and we're wondering, well, if I give my life over to God, it's going to be in his power and not my power. And I don't know if I want that this Christmas. And we forget what Christmas is all about, which is the birth of a Savior. The one that came, a star across the sky, went right above a building with a teenage mother and a baby. A baby that was worshipped by men from, from faraway lands. A baby that requires a response. And you can reject him like Herod. But you can also choose like the wise men, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what baggage you walked in with today, to say, I am going to sit before Jesus. I'm going to kneel before Jesus. I'm going I'm to get up from where I'm at in the posture of my heart, and I'm going to change because I want to worship him today. So what? What does it all matter? It matters because God's power causes us to be unsettled about him or to worship him. And so really, it's, it's, there's only two choices. I've told people in the past, you either love God or you hate God. There's really nothing. People talk about atheism and different philosophical beliefs, but those are the only two options. And especially around Christmas, you realize there's certain people in the story about Jesus that hate God. And there's other ones that love God, and they're not the ones you'd expect. Shepherds come to Jesus. They were smelly. They've been out with the sheep. Wise men from afar. Did you notice the chief priest didn't come to Jesus? That's not who you'd expect. You you expect the people that are religious, but guess what? It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ and realizing that he is the one sent. Because God's power overcomes obstacles and it requires a response. I can't tell you enough that there's certain things in this world that don't require a response. Let me give me some short examples. One is when someone comments on social media and you feel the need to start an argument. That doesn't need a response. When, when someone says something that is hurtful to you but really isn't true, you don't need to respond. There's, there's times that you want to, but you shouldn't. This is not one of those times. You have to respond. There's no other option. You have to respond and say, either I'm going to live my life in God's power, like the wise men that weren't really that wise, if you noticed. They believed Herod. Or I'm going to step out and I'm going to say, I'm in control of my own destiny and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want, like Herod. And this Christmas, I'm going to tell you, Herod was the hurting one. Herod was the one that was hurting, and he continues to hurt. And he responds in hurt in the next part of the passage. But the wise men went on their way. And it says they were exceedingly, exceedingly joyful. You know what's interesting? That only occurs a few times in the entire Bible, that someone's exceedingly joyful, exceedingly excited about something, and the wise men leave, and they are excited because they have just met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This Christmas, remember that moment. When you're around family, remember that's what this is about. Remember that I try to tell my kids, I, I look at them and I'm like, 
these gifts don't matter as much as the gift that Jesus gave to us. This is so important. You know, we read this Christmas story every year, and I probably hear it about 10 times, but it doesn't get old because think about it. The God of the universe sent a baby to die for me. That's what he's done for you. He sent his own son to die for you. That's why God's power demands a response. It needs a response because you can't walk through life without responding to that. And there's only rejection or or moving towards him with acceptance. Don't forget that this Sunday. Don't forget that this Christmas season. So when you're hurt, remember, God is here for you. Jesus was God with us, is God with us, and will be God with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we need to stand in awe of who you are. Be amazed that you sent your son to die for us on a cross, to die a, a death that satisfied the judgment that was in our life, that was on us, and freed us so you don't have to feel that weight and that burden anymore. Help us to be like the wise men, the magi, the, the ones that were, were essentially misfits in Israel. That, that, didn't, that weren't from there, were from afar. But help us to worship like them. Lay our treasures before Jesus. God, maybe that means today we give up some of the stuff we've accumulated. We give it away. Maybe it, maybe it means we don't hold things in our minds away from our spouses, away from our family. Maybe it means we come before you, God, and have time with you this week where we just confess where we're at. God, because we know you're listening. You hear us. God, when we're hurting and missing someone this holiday, help us to remember that we can't miss you. Because God, your power is with us. We say all this in Jesus' name.